Okay. My, uh, my, my discussion tonight uh, for the second hour is, is twofold, and it's really going to uh, rest on, on you guys and what you want to talk about. But um, I am more and more concerned that we understand the sequencing of events that happened and that caused us to be where we are now, somewhat separate, as it were. So um, I, I've got a, a little tiny timeline that goes from the middle of this wall to the middle of this wall. And I just want us to try and get some, fill some stuff in there and just give it a little bit. So give me, uh, give me one thing that jumps out at you that happened in this 1,000-year period from here to here. I was Kent. confirming the time section. Oh, I thought it was Messiah. Messiah is big. Messiah is big. It's exactly right. Okay? So if this is 250, then this would be one and a quarter. So we're looking right about there, and that would be Yeshua. And, Kent, if I were going to put that on a timeline, what year would you choose? About 32. I like that. If I'm going by fives, 30. 35, something like that. There is a lot of argument about when the master was born. Was it really zero? Was it negative four? Yeah, you know, I, it, different class. 30, 35 works for me. Give me another very important thing that happened. That happened in this thousand year period. Yes, outstanding. So 70 AD, so if this is 250, this would be 100 and a quarter. So right about here, we'd have the temple destroyed. Why was that big? That's a class in and of itself. Yeah, it is a class in and of itself. Give me one reason, Johnny. What's what's the big deal? Well, Temple's gone. What's up? End of the purity laws and priesthoods. and uh, it's, the, it's, the, it's the place where God chose to place his name in Jerusalem. And it is God's house. So, you know, after this, the, none of the sacrificial system, we don't have a way to draw near to God. I think that's a big... In the physical sense. Good. Um, I'm, my ears perk up when you say the end of something. Sure. Well, just the temp- temporary. Yeah. Yes. Um, it, it is true that these concepts of clean and unclean, tame and tahor really only apply if you're going to be going into the temple. If you're not going into the temple, they really don't apply right now, and we're all unclean because we can't make ourselves not unclean because we don't have the temple in which to facilitate that. So it's a big deal. And as Johnny pointed out, a lot of jobs stopped. (laughs) (laughs) What what do you do? I'm I'm a priest. I'm a Levite. To spit out as many words. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But I mean, but that's until they started getting paid. Well, no, I, I do think it's important to recognize that the priest, yeah, the priest is going to get extra food for his family. Yes, he's not anymore. Yeah, but it was the moneymaker for Rome. 
right? So that's a big deal there, the temple. All right, what else? Yes, Ken. Okay, so we've got the Mishnah here. And let's make sure everyone understands. What's the Mishnah? Good for you. And I'm glad you asked. What's the Mishnah? It means repetition. It means repetition. What was it that was repeated? Why, well, by the way, Mishnah Torah is the great work by Rambam or Rabbi uh, Moshe Maimonides uh, who uh, laid that out. So what's, what's, what is this repetition? What's the deal? What, what is the Mishnah in, in, uh, in so, layman's terms? So it's the, um, the oral traditions that were passed down orally, written down. Okay, so this was the writing down as best they could of the oral law that was presumably given to Moses or Moshe Rabbeinu on the mountain. Um, who's responsible? Traditionally? Yehuda Hanasi, Rabbi Judah the Prince, or known as the Rabbi. Okay? Oh, yeah. He's the one that's, he redacted it. He wrote it down. It's it's tremendous. It's extraordinary. Um, Now, why do I say it is the writing down of the best we can do of the oral tradition. What, what's, what's the deal there? The, the reason he felt compelled to write it down was because it was already starting to be lost. Why, why by 250 was it already starting to be lost? What had happened? Well, I mean, you, you, I mean by 250, you, you kicked the Jews are out of the land. Jews are out of the land. No more temple. No more temple. We're in, we're in the exile. Right? Yeah, Galut. Okay. So they're starting to forget it. And we're no longer coming together as a community to hear it and to understand how to do things. Got it? So we've got to write it down so people can remember it and keep it. Excellent. Thank you, Ken. Next? Johnny. No, that's right. You raise your hand. Um, I was going to say a combination of about approximately the year 100, the death of Yochanan, the last of Yeshua's disciples you know, on the island of Patmos, and uh, 325, the Council of Nicaea, you know, sort of that storm. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to put. Uh, so if this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep my stuff fairly good here. So 250. So this would be three and a quarter. Right, so we're going to go a little after that, and I'm going to go ahead and say 381. Not the Council of Nicaea, but the Council of Constantinople. Constantinople. The Council of Constantinople actually made firm those things that were talked about at the Council of Nicaea in, I think, 320, 325, right? And then they get together in 381 and decide, okay, this is the way it's going to be. What is the number one biggest thing that they determined at that council? 
Nicaea or Constantinople? Everything, this is the last one, guys. This is the one, this is the line in the sand. What's the biggest thing they came up with? They determined, a man determined, based on check marks, if you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, by what you do. If you keep the laws of the Jews and you don't believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, you are a... If you don't keep the laws of the Jews, and you do believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, you are a... What about the guys in between? There are no guys in between. They hate that. But that's when they definitively said, if you, be- if you act this way, you are a Jew. If you act this way, you are a Christian. Those, I'm just going to say those that would be uh, in between would be people like us. Yeah. Oh, without question. You're exactly right, Ryan. And in fact, it was after 381 that you've got letters. Um, for example, Jerome, St. Jerome, is, is writing letters, um, and um, Augustine is writing letters. And they're all upset about these people that are still keeping Passover and the Sabbath. And there was there must have been enough of them. Yeah. That they actually had to write about it. Yeah. Yeah. Where does uh, the Piscus Judaicus fall in there? Yeah. The so idea. we're we're talking about one sixty ish, right? So right after the temple you've got it's hard for yeah, and it's, it's more important that we, you know, the Fiscus Judaicus, or the, the tax of the Jews, was a splitting factor, right? And I think we'll write down rebellion. We had the final rebellion of the Jews, right? The final Jewish rebellion, we're talking about 166, right? Is when Rabbi Akiva a proselyte, a convert, a Gentile, whose first name is Joseph. Yeah, that's right. Rabbi Akiva, great name, if you think about it. Um, Rabbi Akiva, who was a convert from, from a Gentile convert to Judaism, is actually mentioned in the Talmud. He's a Tanaim. He's a, he's a Tana. So he declared Bar Kokhba to be the, the Messiah. And there's stuff in the Talmud about that, but they fought against Rome. They did okay for a while, and it ended pretty poorly, and a lot of people were killed. So that was the final uh, deal there, and of course, right before that, and one of the things that caused that final rebellion was the tax of the Jews. So here you are, you're a Gentile, you believe that Yeshua is the Messiah, so you've been practicing Judaism. Why? Because your faith is a sect of Judaism. You're practicing Judaism, and Rome is now giving a tax out that is like a 90% tax on your income today. It's just like that. 90 points. What do you do? Well, you have left his tithing. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a Gentile. <laughs> I'm not a Jew. So the Gentiles are backing away. Now, Rabbi Akiva 
the authority over the Jewish people, says, this guy's the Messiah. We need to fight with him against Rome. Now we've got two problems. First, we don't want the tax because we're not really Jews. And second, this guy's the Messiah. Um, <laughs> I've got a little problem with that. Fighting for you, with you, no problem. But I can't fight if me fighting means that I agree that this guy is the Messiah. So, the Gentiles back away twice. Two different times. Causes a big riff. Now you've got the Jews backing away from the Gentiles. When? One. What caused the Jews to back away from the Gentiles? Pull back. No, it's not there. Synagogue practice. You guys can't be in here. We don't know what you're doing. You're just Gentiles. You haven't converted. Forget you. Right. So the Jews are pushing away. We've already seen the Gentiles have backed away themselves, but the Jews are pushing them away because they won't let them into the synagogue. This is why Paul as was his practice, went to the synagogue and argued what? Yeshua is the Messiah. But mostly, Yeshua is the Messiah. And then at Havdalah, the Sabbath's over, where does he go? Hang out with the Gentiles. And of course, they make the big mistake of asking him to talk. And leaving the windows open. So that's where Eutychus falls out. I mean, you know, Paul's talking after Havdalah. Got a little nosh going, right? He starts to talk. Four hours later, five hours later, bam! Eutychus falls out dead, and he gets picked up. All right? So we've got the Jews pushing away because of Gentile uh, pushing them out of the synagogue. What's the second thing, Ken? I was going to say that, that around that time, didn't they add the, the 19th maldition? They did. They did. They added the slanderers, right? Uh, an additional benediction. So they're, they're now cursing them, not just keeping them out of synagogue, but also cursing them. Anything else? When Jerusalem was surrounded by the Romans, how many Gentiles, how many Christians were inside the city? Zero, if, if any. Why? Because the master said to flee. The master said very specifically. When you see these things, flee to the hills. So they left. And what did the Jews see this as? We're being surrounded, and the Gentiles leave. They're deserters. So we've got the Gentiles backing away in two different instances, and we've got the Jews pushing them away in at least two different ways. Okay? Well, there's no question. Anyone who was following the Master did, for sure. Okay, what else we got? I, I knew, I, yeah, I was just wondering, you know, you're filling this one up pretty good here. That's great. Call it 475 before the common era. I thought you were going to do this one, which, by the way, is the Talmud. And this is Esther. 
Okay, so how many, uh, before we get into Esther real quick, how many Talmuds we got? Two. Why would we have two Talmuds? How many Mishnahs we got? One. One Mishnah. That's the, that's the oral Torah. But we've got two discussions. One that went on in Yavni or uh, in, in the land, as it were. And then one that went on where the rest of the Jews were, in Babylon. So you've got the Babylonian Talmud when you put their discussions with the Mishnah, and you've got the Palestinian or Jerusalem Talmud when you put their discussions with the Mishnah. So we've got a Talmud Yerushalmi and a Talmud Bavli or Babylonian. Um, the Yerushalmi was earlier, but by 500, you've got both Talmuds done. Now, we've got Esther right after 500. About 475 is a great time. And we've got... These people have come back from the land, but not many. And they're rebuilding the temple. They're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. But back in Babylon, we've got some stuff going on. And we've got the wicked Haman. And we read about Esther and Mordecai the Jew. Right? So great story there. And we see that this Haman, this, thank you, this Antichrist type figure, this Amalekite, is actually seen again, or a type of that is seen again right about here. Hanukkah. This is the revolt of the Maccabees. I'm not sure if I spell that right, but you guys get it. Right? And 165 ish, and we can read about that in 1st and 2nd Maccabees. Yes? Uh, was it 350 ish? I think it's later than that. I think it's 250. Oh, 250, yeah. Right? So we're going to put, you know, like right in here, yeah. we've got the Sept 2. Uh, gent. Yeah, LXX is what it's called. Why would Septuagint is actually Greek for 70. LXX is the abbreviation for the Septuagint. It also is 70. L for 50. X for 10. Twice is 70. Just in case you missed that in math class. Um, why would the Septuagint be A, called the Septuagint, and B, be abbreviated as the LXX? 70 scholars translated the entire Tanakh into Greek. Why? Where were... No, not Gentiles. Hellenized Jews. Where are they? They're in Alexandria, Egypt. Because we got three places where we've got Jews on the planet. Where are they? Israel. Babylon, which we just talked about, and Alexandria, Egypt. Now, what are the only three places that are talked about in the birth of the Master? Wow. He was born in Israel. He fled to Egypt. And these wise guys showed up from the east. Yeah. Why did they come from there? Well... Maybe there were Jews. Who knows? All right? 
or Italians, yeah. <laughs> While it's doubtful, I appreciate the sound. Yeah. All right. Why would, in 250, we need scriptures written in Greek? Which, by the way, mark it down, I think it was a big mistake. I don't think they ever should have done it. I think it was a big mistake. However, they did do it. But why did they do it? Why was the request made? Because prior to that, you had the, uh, you had the rise of the Greek Empire and Alexander who conquered much of the known world. And so Greek became the common language of commerce and such. Exactly. So you, had a whole, you had a couple generations of Jews that uh, had grown up speaking only Greek. Exactly right. They were worse off than us. Right? They're raised outside the land and they can't they can't do any of the Hebrew and they're struggling with it and they need it in their native tongue. While I think it was a bad idea, that's Al for Alexander, by the way. Um, while I think it was a bad idea, it turns out to be a, a veritable Rosetta stone for us. Okay. Um, what do we got going on? from literally the Septuagint until the birth of the Master. Yes, excellent. The Zugot. Zugot means? Pairs. Pairs. We've got the Zugot. Right? That's right? Exactly right. So we've got the pairs, and how many pairs do we have? Five. Who is the last pair? Hello, and Shemai. Who's the first pair? Yossi and Yossi and Yossi, I think. Although I may be wrong about that, but I always remember them because both guys got the same name. <laughs> All right. The the last. What do we, what do we got right here? Hillel. Shemai, Herod, we got him dying there, so he's born shortly before that. We've also got right here the uh, Idumeans. What was that all about? Forcibly circumcised because now the Maccabees have taken over. And now, what tribe was supposed to be the king? Judah. What tribe was supposed to be the priests? Levi. Levi. So, what do we got? Sure, but it's still the tribe of Judah. No question about it. So, what do we have after the Maccabean revolt? So, who's sitting on the throne? Right. Levites are sitting on the throne and then they're bickering and going back and forth so much, and they're zealous about not being Hellenized. We don't want to get taken over by this Greek stuff. Oh, you guys, you're Jews, but you never get circumcised? What's up with that? We can help. Oh, Sven. <laughs> yeah, right? So you've got the Idumeans being forcibly circumcised. Not a pleasant time. I wonder how that works, actually. 
I, I brought my knife. I'm just curious. You know, maybe we could maybe we could try that some night and just see how that goes. We'll just take a volunteer or just choose one. Okay. <laughs> oh, so we're okay. Yeah. All right. Everybody clear? We've got a a a revolt against against those who are oppressing Israel. We've also got, unfortunately, a revolt then against the authority structure which God had set up. And we've got now a corrupt priesthood that is actually being presented by Rome. Rome is selling that high priesthood. What relation, if any, is there between the Idumeans and the Sadducees? Did you return for that as the Sadducees that came from the Sadducees line? Yeah, he's back away over here. Zadok and all that, right? Yeah, they are, and and I think that the uh, the Sadducees had a lot of folks that were sympathizers with Rome, and and as such started to become very well known by Rome, and were picking up the the high priesthood. You know, so you. There's no direct line between them and the Edomians. Well, not the Edomians, but the Edomians are just fallout from this whole push against Hellenism. But the guys that did that lost, you know. So the Sadducees and the sympathizers with Rome are really in charge. So we've not only got a, a, the wrong folks in charge on the throne, but then Rome comes in because we start... Yeah. So Rome comes in about 160, 130, somewhere in there, and they take over, and they start selling the priesthood, and that's where the Sadducees like step in and, and start sympathizing and get and they buy the high priesthood. That's why in the time of the master, you've actually got three guys in his lifetime, three or four guys, who are high priests. But they're all still alive. At the time of his death, you've got two, if not three guys who actually had been high priests and were still alive. Why is that unusual? Why? Because that's what God said. And when he dies, anybody who's been a manslayer and runs to those cities of refuge, they get to go free. Well, what happens if the high priest doesn't die? His father-in-law takes over. Does that mean I can leave? Or am I still stuck here? Well, that's not what the law says. Yes, Ken. The uh, um, once you get Esther done, and you probably have Daniel um, just before that. You've got Ezra, Nehemiah, um, all these guys who are building. Uh, you bet. We're uh, we're done with that stuff, and basically the canon is closed. Where do you have? The book of, I beg your pardon. Oh, I just have a couple of questions um, that Go. deal with the, uh, 
high priests and also the Sadducees. Okay. Uh, first of all, Annas and Caiaphas. Yes. High priests. They were. Okay. Related. Because I remember that son-in-law and father. Father-in-law. Because I remember that in one of them, I think it's Luke. Luke says that Yeshua saw both. Absolutely. Okay. And then the second question I have is. Which should never happen. Right. Exactly. Um, the Sadducees were principally the group that had Yeshua arrested, right? I would say that the Sadducees were primarily responsible only because they were the religious leaders right. in charge of the temple. And because they were in Jerusalem. Absolutely. Okay. You bet. And then the last thing is uh, the advent of Yochanan on that field. Yes. Um, on the timeline. Yeshua. It's you know it's so you got six months. It's six months before him. Ananias. Why? Why is that? That's why they felt threatened by him. They didn't why? The resurrection. That's not why. That's true, but it's not relevant. Because why would they, they be threatened? They weren't legitimate. If he's truly the Messiah, then he, as the rightful authority, would have the ability to clear out. You guys, everybody out of the pool. And so their cush lifestyle and all the authority they had and, and their 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 closeness to Rome that kind of had their backs and all of that, that that would come to a screeching halt. And that was why they felt threatened by not just Yeshua, but any figure that would potentially have the support of the people that would threaten their position. Well, John yeah. Baptist, he had a lot of support. Too. But he never wanted to be, nor could he claim to be an authority. The thing with Yeshua was he was of the house of David. Which means he's legitimately supposed to be in charge. And if he does reign as king, he would straighten out the problem with the high priest. Which Herod, who was one of the Herods, that uh, basically took out the whole Sanhedrin. Yes, sir. Yeah. But he said, he asked them, <laughs> should I be king or who should be king? Who should sit on the throne? So David. <laughs> yeah. Herod the Great. Yeah. Wiped out Sanhedrin. It was, it was incredible. Uh, we read about uh, in the Talmud, uh, Baba Ben Buddha. Isn't he the guy that was uh, blinded? Yeah, one of those blinded. Yeah. Yes, sir. This, uh, it's really important to, I mean, because I was saying in this group that we should all understand this to be true, but I, I'm just trying to doubly emphasize and you know, officially beat the dead horse that it's so important to understand the history for this period. You know, so much of the, you know, it used to take me. I was never a big history buff, but this has kind of turned me into one so that you can, we can better understand the things that are going on in Scripture so that you know, there is so much going on politically there in that you know, 160, 100, you know, almost 200 years leading up to and, and, you know, and just after the death of the Messiah and everything, death and resurrection of Yeshua, that, you know, when we see you know, the zealots, the rise of the zealots, you know, because they're the the rebel Jews, the the, uh, the vigilantes who are 
ticked with the Jewish Roman sympathizers and collaborators. More so than that, Johnny, what were they waiting for? What were they, I mean, yeah, they were definitely against Rome. But what were they waiting for? A Messiah that would come and shake off the Gentiles. Oh, they want the sword. They're waiting for the big cheese to come in. And yeah, and he's going to be fighting for them, fighting with them. Where would they get that idea? Daniel chapter 7. They, they had a large. They, they also had a problem with Yeshua's disciples because he's the whole turn the other cheek mentality, and they're they're not buying into that. So well, they, those particular guys. I mean, you got turmoil on every side. Sure. I mean, it's just like watching, you know, some of these uh, late night shows that we've got on television now inside the White House and stuff like that. I mean, it's the same deal. You've got all kinds of intrigue and everything going on, and you're exactly right. I think we should be able to do a 150 before and after, and know everything about it. Because if you don't, you're going to miss something. You're, you're going to be reading the scriptures, the apostolic writings especially, and not know what, what in the world something means and why so it's there. Who rebuilds the temple? Who rebuilds the temple when? Uh, Here? Here? That's Nehemiah, Ezra, um, Zerubbabel. Um, you can start reading in, um, in the book of... Uh, Nehemiah. Uh, he tells you what year it was. In the year of this king, I was cupbearer to the king. And if you read that, and you read Esther first, you'll see a lot of similarities. It's about the same time frame. So you read Nehemiah. Right after that, you've got the book of Ezra. And Ezra comes after Nehemiah, and he gives them back the Torah. And the description about Ezra, I think we should memorize. There's two descriptions about Ezra that I think are in Nehemiah, which are extraordinary. What, what an unbelievable, righteous man. He, he just, he's a tzaddik. He sure enough did. And what is written about him as far as his character and his ways and his habits are absolutely unique in the scripture. He is a Messiah figure, if you will. And what's said about him can be said about Messiah. It's extraordinary. So we didn't even write it all down. We didn't write down all of the pairs. We didn't write down all the intrigue that's going on. So I'm, I'm going to bring this to your attention a little bit more this year, every now and then, so that we can talk about that. Because if you read all of this, it's very clear that there was a community of believers that had a specific character throughout. And they were sensitive to the scriptures, believing God and his promises, and waiting upon a Messiah. It's through this whole intrigue and stuff like that that you have a guy like Simeon, who's really old, but had a vision or in some way was told by God that he would not die until he had seen with his own eyes the what? Doesn't say that. The consolation of Israel. Wow. What does that mean? Why would we need consolation? Why does Israel need to be consoled? 
Well, guys, there is no way that you can start at 500 here and read about Esther and all the hassles that Nehemiah went through and then everything that happens with all this intrigue and killing of one another and Pharisees and Sadducees and forcible circumcisions, the Greek guy coming in, then the Antiochus Epiphany guy, and then Rome comes in and suppresses. They need consoling. And he was told, you're going to see the consolation of Israel physically in the form of a person. And he knew that to be the Messiah. You will see the Messiah. Now, this is not the ravings of a, of a single lunatic priest. This is part of the fabric of Israel at that time, looking for a Messiah. Political, absolutely. Religious, you bet. Righteous, son of man and son of God. He would actually be divine and he would be human from the physical seed of David. That's what they were waiting on. All of them? No. Most of them? Absolutely. Some of them more than others? You bet. Our master was born and stepped into that turmoil. And you know the way, you know the, way the scriptures put it? In the fullness of time. Now I'm beginning to understand It was fat with anticipation. It was bulging with all kinds of stuff going on, and he shows up in the middle of it. The lasso goat is gone, and he steps up. Unbelievable. And if you understand the... If you understand the understanding of the... 6,000 year model right there was an expectation from the way they understood uh, the, the times and seasons and the 6,000 year redemption so forth that the Messiah would come on the fourth day because the fourth day is when the luminaries you know of course lost to the luminaries so many of them were looking for the Messiah to show up, and they were absolutely right, and he did. And he did. There it is. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of them were expecting him to show up as Ben Thubby. But, um, and, and so in that sense, they, they missed it. Of course, we know that's all part of God's plan, too. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Uh, but so, did everybody, everybody catch that? A thousand years is as a day, a day is as a thousand years. He's talking fourth day. Fourth day, Adam, Noah, Abraham, David, Messiah Yeshua. One thousand, two thousand, three thousand, fourth day. Four thousand. podcast 
Jesus of Mashiach started 2,000 years ago. The 2,000 year period, the last two days of the six days, is known in Orthodox Judaism as Yamim HaMashiach. The days of Messiah. Wow. That's what they call the period we're in right now. How did they get that? Why did they understand that? It's like a Jewish guy. Isn't that great? It's unbelievable. Yeah. It truly is. I was going to say, I find it amazing that uh, after Shammai passed away, Yeshua steps up. Yeah, I, I just noticed that recently, and it really is pretty cool. Yeah, because we know Halal died first, ten years later, Shammai died. And Shammai died, um, according to uh, history, in 30. And yeah, that's right about the same time that the Master started his, his ministry. So there certainly was no uh, authority opposition at that point. Yes, sir? Oh, no. No, you kind of touched on Okay. So. All right. Um, Questions, final comments? Yes, sir? I've got some really cool stuff to share in the coming weeks, then. If, if, if this is kind of where you want to take us in the coming months, weeks. Yeah. Um, I've been going through Oracle Volume 6, and it is just amazing. The Chronicles of the Apostles. Man, and it's just insight after insight on you know, just things like, man, I never thought of that, but it's... This is recorded history, and suddenly the dots just begin connecting, and you're just like, wow, this scripture just makes so much more sense. And so I've got some really cool things that I've found that I'd, I'd like to share. Excellent. Put it together. The um, I'm going to try and uh, put together a, a, a one-hour Cliff Notes thing on uh, on that book, The Jewish Gospels, for you. So... If you're going to read it, I encourage you to read it soon. You can get it done very quickly. 200 pages, something like that. It's not bad. So, And you can skip over most of the scripture references because you probably already know them. So that's, uh, that's the deal there. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's call it a night. And if uh, some of you want to stick around and bless God with me over a glass of the fruit of the vine, we will... Uh, We will do that. Give me just a second here. How wonderful are your tents, Yaakov, and your dwelling places, Yisrael. It is only through your great loving kindness that I am able to enter your house. We therefore prostrate ourselves before the sanctuary of your holiness in awe of you alone. Adonai, we love the inner sanctum of your temple, the place where your glory resides. We prostrate and bow down, acknowledge and kneel before Adonai, the eternal one who made us. We offer you our prayer, Adonai, O merciful God, at this time for divine favor. Just God, in the abundance of your loving kindness, answer us with the assurance of your deliverance. And all God's people said. Amen.
That's exactly.